Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. My name is Karen Fabian, and I am the founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers, and this is episode 30. So this episode is going to be about teaching alternatives to Warrior One and the anatomy behind it. Now, this is just a quick episode designed to um, hopefully spark some conversation and some thought about one of the mainstay fundamental poses we do in almost every class, Warrior One. Now, think about it. Have you ever taught a regular flow class and not included a warrior one? Chances are probably not. But what do you think your students are thinking when they're in warrior one? Well, I'll give you a few ideas. The first one, oh, this pose. <laughs> the second one, wow, it is really hard to balance on this narrow base. The next one, oh man, my hips feel really tight. The next one, wow, now she's asking me to center my hips. Man, my back knee is killing me. The next one, my arms are so tired. <laughs> and the last one, I love this pose. Warrior one is my favorite. <laughs> so, you can see the range of feelings and sensations can run east to west, north to south. I almost wish we could ask people to say how they're feeling in class. Can you imagine the range of feedback we'd get? It'd be hard to manage, but it sure would be interesting. So today, we're going to take a look at Warrior One, why it's a challenge, and what some of what you can offer, and the why behind offering some of these alternatives. Now, I want to start out by telling you that this week, and this week only, my online learning program on anatomy, Your Yoga Anatomy Blueprint, is open for enrollment. Now, why am I telling you this now and not getting to the content about Warrior One? Well, if you're listening, I assume you want to learn more about anatomy. 
And since I love teaching anatomy, I created a way to reach more teachers and share what I love. And I know my system works because teachers have already gone through the program and posted their reviews. So you can see their feedback for yourself. Now, what I've done in the past few months is I've updated almost 100% of the course. So the teachers that have gone through it and the positive feedback they've given is only going to be enhanced because the program has been completely upgraded. Now, I'm going to tell you more about what's involved in a little bit, but for now, just know that if you visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, right on the homepage, right at the top, you're going to see the link to join the program. Enrollment is only open until midnight Eastern time Friday. Okay, so more on that in a few minutes. Let's get back to our discussion on Warrior One. So as you know, yoga is a practice of tradition. And as such, classes are often started in the same way, with warrior one showing up at some point early on in the practice. Now, while this sequencing is a big part of the tradition of yoga, as we recognize some of the challenges we all face because of our daily posture, so kind of the typical hunching over the desk, hunching over the phone. I mean, I try when I'm riding the subway to sit a little lower in the seat so I can push my phone up and my head is at neutral rather than hanging down, but it's just so hard. There's just so much we're doing throughout the day where we're hunched over uh, the front of our body there. And so because of this, there's some good support to change up some of what you offer people, especially at the start of class as they're just getting warmed up. So let's first look at why Warrior One can be a challenge for students. So here's where we have to look at some of the anatomy, the anatomical movements, and the muscles and muscle actions. So in Warrior One, the back hip, the straight leg side, that hip is an extension, right? So we're widening the angle between the thigh and the belly. And the front hip is in flexion. So that's the bent knee, right? So the, the angle between the thigh and the belly is, is decreased, right? So one hip is in extension, one hip is in flexion. So let's look at the muscles that are kind of doing their job. The hip flexor muscle on the bent leg side is contracting. So primarily that's the psoas muscle, which runs from the low back to the femur. It's also the sartorius, which FYI happens to be the longest muscle in the body. Um, and also the rectus femoris, which is part of the quadriceps. So you've got three muscles. There are others as well, but primarily three muscles involved in hip flexion. The main one we normally hear people talk about is the psoas. And so on the bent knee side, that muscle's contracting. However, on the straight leg side, that hip's in extension. So those muscles that are primarily working to flex now need to stretch. And that right out of the gate can be a challenge for people. Now, the big hip extension muscle is on the back of the body because muscles on the back of the body are primarily going to be responsible hip-wise for extension. So now we're looking at part of the glute complex called the gluteus maximus. So this isn't a lateral muscle. This isn't glute medius or glute minimus. This is the big muscle on the back of the body, on the back of the hip. So this is a hip extensor, gluteus maximus. Now the gluteus maximus on the straight leg side is contracting because that hip is in extension. On the bent leg side, that muscle is lengthening to a certain degree because the hip is in the opposing direction. The hip is in flexion, not in extension. So what happens oftentimes in many, you know, kind of 
kinds of like our student, if we look at our general student population, is many of them are sitting all day. So when you're sitting, your hip flexors are in passive contraction, right? Your hips are flexed, but you're not actively contracting them. We're also sitting on our glute max, which is passively stretching. So this is not a great scenario for muscles. They like to actively do their job, whether it's extension or flexion. They don't really like to passively do it. So then when you get people in warrior one and you're saying to them, hey, let's lengthen this hip flexor, which can additionally be overly shortened if you're doing things, if the student's doing things to actively contract it, like running or cycling. Uh, and then we're asking uh, the, the uh, straight leg side where the hip is an extension to have glute max be doing that work. But if you've been sitting on your glute max all day, it really doesn't have a lot of contractibility. It's, it's just kind of been passively in, uh, in uh, that's the stretching mode, got myself tied up there. So here we have this kind of conundrum and this can oftentimes uh, be complicated further because the shape of the pose is such that, kind of what I mentioned earlier, it's got a narrow base. So depending on how you teach it, you may be asking students to line up the front heel with the back heel. And so that can now put their foundation at a narrower position relative to their pelvis, which is hip width. So that can create another set of problems, along with how long the foundation is. So if the front foot is way ahead and the back foot is way behind, now you're adding additional challenge. And sometimes you might be not be cueing to that, but the student might just have this kind of thought in their mind to get the benefit of the pose. I have to step way out in front. And so that may be where they end up. And you'll notice that too, because you'll look at their back foot and you'll see how they're dumping in on the inner edge of the back foot, which is so not good for the ankle joint. So you really want people to have a steady base to the extent in this pose where they can get the outer edge of that back foot down. So here are all these challenges, right? So what are some things you can do to make Warrior One more accessible? So the first thing is have people take a wider stance. I, I think I almost always teach that first Warrior One with a wider foot position. And that right out of the gate, wider is steadier, narrower is not. That is just kind of a fundamental theme from an alignment perspective. So have people step that front foot over to the right a little bit and you know cue them to do it and make it part of that first pose so they already have greater stability. The second thing is have students take a shorter stance. If you look at their back foot and you see they're dumping in on the inner edge of uh, the back foot and kind of rolling their ankle in a little bit, so not good for the foot architecture, have them step in a little bit. Again, you just cue them to it and the people who wanna do it, they'll do it. The people that, you know, that don't, won't. Uh, the next thing is have them turn the back foot in. You know, think about the kinetic chain. You're speaking oftentimes to centering the hips, but if you speak to that part of the kinetic chain before you speak to the foundation, the bottom link in the chain, it's gonna be really hard for people to do anything with their hips if their back foot is still turned open. If their back foot is turned open, what's gonna be the position of that hip? external rotation. It's going to be opening. So think of the foot as the steering wheel for the hip in this posture, because if that foot directionally is turned out, their hip is going to be externally rotated. So have them talk to their feet first, have them turn that back foot in a little bit. 
And, um, and I wouldn't even say things like 45 degrees. You don't need to get super technical. Just, just talk to them about the position of that foot affecting their hip and cue, dial the back foot in until you can easily center your hips without wrenching your back knee. Because that's what, in that earlier example of what the student was thinking, that's oftentimes what happens. They'll hear you say, center the hips, they'll center the hips without adjusting the back foot. And what's the, the point of give? It's the knee joint. And so the knee will bend because there's no way for them to center without dialing that back foot in or collapsing into the knee. Now, additionally, you can skip teaching Warrior One altogether. I guess you could completely. Um, another thing you could do is to just teach some alternatives before you throw in kind of the traditional Warrior One. And that's more of what, you know, I think you, you tend to see in, in sequencing is just kind of giving people something a little easier, a little more accessible to do, get them warmed up, get them more kind of connected and coordinated. And then you kind of progress up you amp it up a little bit and make things a little harder. So some um, alternatives here, you could do a knee down lunge uh, and just have them basically do warrior one with the back knee down. That's fantastic. I mean, unless people have problems with knee sensitivity, you can have them put a blanket or a towel under there or even roll the edge of the mat in. That's a nice alternative. You can have them do a low lunge. So put a block on the inside, set the hands up on the block and take about five to 10 breaths on each side. And that really allows them to get that centering because the back heels lifted and work both hip flexion and hip extension. You can have them do warrior two, right? Warrior two has front hip inflection and external rotation, right? And then back hip in extension and a little internal rotation. So they're getting both a hip flexion and a hip extension, and then you switch sides and they get it on the other side. So they're getting the same thing. It's just that in Warrior Two, they get that front hip a little more open in external rotation, and they get that opening through the torso as well, through the middle of the body. So I think typically Warrior Two is a lot easier for people to do than Warrior One because they don't have to center the pose. And you can just notice your students in the two postures. And I think you'll find that over time, people just look a heck of a lot more comfortable in Warrior Two than Warrior One. And then crescent lunge, right? As soon as we do crescent lunge, we lift the back heel so we make it a lot easier for people to center the hips because their feet aren't pressed into the ground. As soon as we have people press their feet down, it's really, really hard for them to additionally center the hips, especially if they have all those other things I talked about before, the long base, the narrow base, uh, the tight hip flexors. So having them just lift the back heel, talk to them there about centering the hips, talk to them about how hopefully easy that feels for them because the back heel up gives them a lot more mobility. And then when you bring them into warrior one, you can cue back to that centering action, speak to the fact that the back heel is down now, but encourage them to dial the back foot in, back big toe in, to allow the same centering to happen as happened when they were in crescent lunge. And this is a really good thing to do for your students, help them make those connections um, between things they're doing in one pose and things they're doing in another pose that are related. And this is how you can help them start to connect the dots and really teach them different things they can do to find stability and ease in a pose. So 
I would love to know what you think about any of this, what kinds of things you're doing. So please be sure to leave a comment on iTunes and let me know what you think. Now, as you're listening to this, if you're you know, looking for more ways to analyze sequencing like this, the bottom line is you must understand anatomy, right? Even in this short episode here, I use a lot of anatomy, a lot of anatomical terms. There had to be a good knowledge of muscles there and the application of that information to both poses, cueing, and sequencing. All of that, the ability to do all of that in different scenarios, confidently, clearly, is all grounded in having a good understanding of anatomy. Now, this week and this week only, I have enrolled, opened enrollment for my online program called Your Yoga Anatomy Blueprint. Now, I wanna just tell you, this is more than just a course. This is an entire program designed to give you one-on-one -on -one support to help you learn anatomy. I don't want you to think you're gonna buy this course and you're gonna be out there in the ether doing it alone. I have added over $500 of free bonuses to the program to enhance your ability to learn. And as I said earlier, there are teachers who have gone through the course even before I just completely updated it over the past several months. And they spoke to the increase in confidence they had because their understanding of anatomy grew. And the bottom line is that as you know more anatomy, it's not so that you can share it and sound like a smarty pants, right? It's so that you can understand the fundamentals of anatomy and decide what are the key things you wanna share with your students, right? So you're taking something complex, you're learning it through my step-by-step -step system so it's easy to digest, and then you're sharing it with your students in ways that are easy for them to digest. And the primary way that you're doing that is through the cues. But I promise you, if you don't understand anatomy, it's really, really hard to give effective cues. And I certainly know when I was a new teacher and I was just getting you know, kind of my feet wet, it was terrifying for me to think about students coming up to me after class and asking me questions or saying they had a particular issue with their hip and what could they do or how could they modify something. Now, I absolutely love answering student questions after class and all of my ability to do that has been enhanced the more anatomy that I know. And it's not so that I can spew a bunch of terms to them, it's more so that I can help them and my impact is beyond just that class. It's giving them things that they can do on their own to improve their health. So here's what you do. Between now and Friday at midnight Eastern, the course is open for enrollment. After that, it shuts down. I probably do it once or twice a year open enrollment. I don't know if I'm gonna do it another time this year. So you really only have like the next handful of days to get on board here. When you go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, you're gonna see right on the homepage, the link to look at the whole program. I've got a video in there. I've got a list of all the things you're gonna get for free and the price of the program and the payment plan. So you've got two different ways to pay for it. I wanna again reiterate that part of the bonuses involved in the program is that I'm gonna be working with you one-on-one -on -one through virtual coaching sessions. This is going to give you more, hear me here, more support than you would even get if you were going to a two or three or $4,000 training when you lump in all the costs for your travel and your airfare and all of that. I can tell you in my experience of going to trainings and I bet yours as well, I never had three one hour sessions with the lead teacher to 
answer any specific questions I had to coach me through any potential, you know, questions I had about the program itself. And additionally, to quiz me at the end to see if I retained the information that the person shared. And so that's all part of what I give you. And that is all given for free. And so there's, you know, hundreds of dollars of free stuff you're getting in addition to the price you're paying uh, for the course itself. So if all of this sounds interesting and you want to grow your confidence, you want to grow your impact as a teacher, all you got to do, go to the website, barebonesyoga.com, right on the homepage, you'll see the link. You can check it out. Think about it for a couple days, but don't think too long because Friday at midnight Eastern, the whole thing closes for enrollment. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for watch, for watching, for listening, and I will speak to you soon. Namaste.